rooms. If they want to meet their teachers out in the, the lobby area, and they can head down there. <clears throat> if you've got a Bible and you want to open up to Philippians chapter 3, um, I was on Facebook early this morning and found that my memory from five years ago was Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. Uh, on this day, and ironically, uh, that's what we're going to talk about, Hebrews, or Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, and we're going to get there um, at some point, and so open your Bible to that. It won't be on the screen, because I believe in carrying a Bible with you, whether it's on your phone or in your pocket. It doesn't matter. You should have one with you all the time, and so I am excited about the things that God has been saying and doing uh, for us as a body. Uh, I'm going to get way more excited than this, so if we can bring my mic down a little bit, um, because, you know, I wasn't real excited before, but I know eventually I'm going to get excited, because Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, it's got to be, um, if you, you know, forced me to pick one, I mean, there's so many favorite scriptures I have, but if you forced me to pick one, uh, Philippians chapter 3 would be that one, and uh, it's just a powerful passage of Scripture. But for those of you, uh, as you heard in the video announcements, just want to remind you that next Sunday, excuse me, if you haven't filled out your faith promise card, next Sunday is the last Sunday to turn those in. We encourage you to do it. There's something about putting it on paper and saying, God, here's what I believe you're asking me to partner with you in. Uh, I promise you that we don't show them to everybody. It's not about, uh, you know, showing everybody what somebody gives, but it's about you making a partnership with God that you go on record and saying, God, here's what I want you to do. All of us want God to do miracles in our lives, but sometimes we don't want to put ourselves in position where God actually gets to show himself faithful. And sometimes that's just writing that number down and saying, God, here's what I'm believing you to do beyond me. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. If you've not given in the special district council offering that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, uh, next Sunday is your last day to do that also. So please uh, make sure that you get those in next Sunday. Also, next Sunday, we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, Restoration Church. If you were here on March 11th on Vision Sunday, I talked about this and presented this to you and shared some things about that. If you haven't heard that, that's on our podcast. You can go back and listen to it. Uh, if you want a, D or a CD copy, you can please uh, let us know. We've got a couple copies available. We can pass it on to you. Uh, we want you to hear this. We want you to hear what we think God is, is putting in our hearts, and uh, we will be having a special business meeting after the service next Sunday morning to discuss that change, that name change, and to discuss it together and to vote on that. And so we want you to be a part of that. But I'm excited about the things uh, that God is doing in our body. We've got some testimonies next Sunday that we're going to share with you. And uh, it was interesting this last week, I was in my office talking to Pastor John and said, um, you know, thinking about next week, I said, for one, I feel bad that I'm more excited about next Sunday than uh, this Sunday because it's Easter. I should be excited. Um, but the testimonies, the things that we want to share with you, it's as if the things that we've been praying for and asking for and wanting God to work in our hearts and lives are actually starting to break out. It's like the seed is breaking forth. And uh, he said, you know, that's interesting. That's the word Ginny shared last Sunday morning. So I went back and listened to it again and thought, oh, yeah, that is the word that Ginny shared last Sunday morning. And so uh, just so many things that uh, I don't want to get into today because we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit more next week. But today 
We're going to focus on the resurrection of Jesus because that's what this day is and what it's all about. And so we're starting our series, and I, I debated back and forth about whether or not to begin on Easter Sunday because I know that a lot of times people travel on Easter and uh, they're not in the service, and so are they going to miss uh, the beginning of this series? And uh, as we, again, mentioned to you, the book Killing Kryptonite is available on the back uh, table. If you're not in a huddle, uh, I'm going to encourage you to get in one. We have huddles that meet on Sunday afternoons, uh, not today, but starting next week. And then we have huddles that meet on Wednesday nights. And I'm going to encourage you to get in one. And so if you're not in a huddle, I'm going to encourage you to get in one. And uh, you can mark that on your Connect card or you can let me know and we'll get you in one of those huddles. I believe God is doing some amazing things in those groups. And uh, I, I'm just excited for it. Uh, there's shorter chapters in this book, and so those of you that maybe don't like the long chapters that we had before, it's a little bit shorter, but you got to read more of them in a week. And uh, today we're going to try to go through some of the, the stuff that's contained in the first three chapters of this book. And some of you might think that that's a weird title for a book, Killing Kryptonite, um, unless maybe you've lived on another planet, you've heard the word kryptonite at some point. It's been around in American culture for a number of years. Um, it's been, I don't know exactly when Superman came out, but I remember when Superman came out and I remember watching it on TV as a kid. And uh, there's something about American culture that is enamored with superheroes. Um, they have always been. We've had DC comics, we've had Marvel comics, we've had all of these superheroes, we've had Superman, we've had Spider-Man, we've had Batman, we've got the Incredible Hulk and the Flash, and we've got Captain America and Iron Man, and we've got Black Panther, and it just more and more of these movies keep coming out. And in the book, he begins to talk about this idea of Superman, and he compares Superman to believers. Now, maybe you think that's a little bit of a stretch, but in the book, of Acts, Acts chapter 14, and in the book of Acts in chapter 28, the disciples, the early church, at times had to try and convince people that they were not gods. Okay, they didn't have superheroes back then, but they, they began to think that the way that these guys were living, <coughs> excuse me, they were gods, and they had to actually reason with people and Teach them that we're not gods. We're just men like you, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the, this entire book, the beginning of it especially, is trying to awaken in our hearts the potential that you and I have been called to live with. Because we have allowed ourselves to be dumbed into a Christianity that is far below what this book describes as the life of a believer. We have been called to live with supernatural power. And as he begins to compare Superman with the lives of believers, just like there's a kryptonite that keeps Superman from being able to access his power, for us as believers, there's a spiritual kryptonite that keeps us from walking in the power of God that actually is resident on the inside of us. And I'm not going to go into great detail outlining uh, that he does it in the book, but I want to talk to you today about our potential. I want to talk about our potential that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That word potential literally means this. It is the capacity to become or to develop into something in the future. It's the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. In other words, it's what is possible. 
what is possible. And the only thing that limits our potential is us. Us. No demon can stop it. No power can stop it. Sin can't stop it. Sickness can't stop it. Read Romans chapter 8. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and there is absolutely nothing, nothing that can stop the potential that God has put inside of you other than us. And so when we look at the early church and we look at the book of Acts and we look at the letters that have been written to the churches, the question that he's asking us at the beginning of this is, have we settled for a Christianity, a version of Christianity that is actually below what this book describes? Have we settled into something that's comfortable? Sometimes because of disappointment, sometimes because of misunderstanding, sometimes because of fear, sometimes because of shame and guilt. We've allowed ourselves to believe in a Christianity less than what this book tells us is possible. Amen. Feel free to speak back at me because that will maybe help me and motivate me, but it's okay because I've motivated myself in Jesus already today. Because here's the thing. You and I will not be motivated to tap into a potential we do not believe exists. If you believe that this potential exists, you will begin to press into that potential. But if we do not believe it exists, if we allow ourselves to say, oh no, it's not supposed to be like that, it's just supposed to be like this. Jesus just did this at the beginning of the church to jumpstart it, and now we've kind of settled into what he is expecting from us. If you believe that, you will never tap into all that God has available for you. The Holy Spirit, God himself, lives in us. He lives in us. So the question is, if God himself lives in us, should we look and act differently than people who do not have the Holy Spirit in them? Yes, we should. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And I know that sometimes life throws curveballs at us and we start to believe that, well, yeah, I know it's in there, but uh, yeah, I just don't know that I have it. You have it. The potential's there. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, the, John pens these words, words, in this world, we are like Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. We like to believe that Jesus did what he did because he was the son of God. But Jesus himself taught us that not only will you do what I have been doing, you will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. What does that mean? When he goes to the Father, he sends the Spirit. And if the Spirit lives inside of you, you can do what Jesus did. He did not save you just so that one day you can experience a better life in heaven. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes these words, the divine power of God has given us everything we need to live a godly life, everything. We have received all of this just by coming to know him. 
Okay, just by coming into relationship with God through Jesus, we have been given everything. Everything. How much is everything? Everything. How much is not included in everything? Nothing, because it's everything. So if you have come to know Jesus, then the Holy Spirit, all of him, everything he is and all that he has is now resident on the inside of you. You've got to believe that that's your potential. He's given us great and precious promises. Like Jenny taught us last week or spoke to us last week, those promises come in seed form. And those promises enable you to share his divine nature. Almost like a superhero, huh? He's given you promises to share in his divine nature so that you can escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. So in view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort. You can just sit there and say, well, God, if you want to do that, I'm all game. Or you can make every effort to press into the potential that you believe is on the inside of you. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you become in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, you can actually become more useful and productive in your knowledge of God. Yes, we've come to know him and we've gotten everything we could possibly need for life and godliness. And we, by our effort, can actually become more productive. I know some of you are like, what effort? Uh, by the, the effort through the power of the spirit. Does that make it better? By that effort, by spirit-empowered effort, you can actually become more productive and more useful in your knowledge of God. If you do these things, you will never fall away, and then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if we were just saved for that grand entrance, why would he say all of that before? Why would he say about sharing in the divine nature? Why would he share about the power of God at work in us, becoming more productive and useful in our knowledge of God, if it's all about just the grand entrance? Because it's not. You've been called heavenward, but you haven't been saved just for heaven. You're on a journey heavenward right now. And there is potential on the inside of every one of us in this room that has been yet to be tapped into. He, in the book, he goes back into the Old Testament and talks about Joseph. I mean, Joseph faced temptation over and over and over again. And yet, without the Holy Spirit living in him like us, Joseph was able to somehow put off the temptations of a, a beautiful woman trying to seduce him. In the book of Daniel, we learn about a few guys that were taken into captivity. Look at these words. These four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. See, the Holy Spirit is not just about giving you spiritual, scriptural principles. He's actually able to give you knowledge in literature and all kinds of learning. You don't understand calculus? He does. I'm not kidding you. He does. And if you were created to be an engineer, then he has put that gift within you, and he is able to make that thing come alive if you trust him. Now, he's not saying just sleep with your book under your pillow and he'll make it happen. 
But it, your diligence is not enough. You still need the grace of God. And if you ask for it, look what he can do. Then he gave Daniel the ability to understand visions and dreams of all kinds. All kinds of dreams and visions. In every matter. How many of you know when the Bible says something, the Bible cannot exaggerate? I mean, you and I exaggerate when we tell stories all the time, but the Bible does not. So when it says in every matter, it means in every matter. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And you say, well, yeah, but that was only four guys out of a group of like hundreds and thousands that went into captivity. Yeah, in the inferior covenant. And I believe what God did for these four guys, he wants to do in the lives of every believer today. That's the power of the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry far superior to the old priesthood. Far superior, not just a little bit better, not just a kind of better, far superior. He is the one who mediates a far better covenant with God based on better promises. And those promises are not just about what's going to happen to you when you die. It's about what's going to happen to you when you learn to die to yourself right now. The power of God at work in those who believe. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 6, it, taught, it describes the church as these men who have turned the world upside down. I don't think the church today is being described as people who are turning the world upside down. In Acts chapter 4, a building actually shook in response to their prayers. In Acts chapter 5, Peter walked down the street and people were throwing sick people out into the street just so Peter's shadow can touch them and they can be healed. In Acts chapter 19, Paul took a job as a, a, a tent maker to begin to work and support his ministry himself. And while he worked, he wore an apron and he used a handkerchief to wipe the sweat off his brow while he was working. And some people got the idea that if we take those aprons and those handkerchiefs and we take them and we lay them on sick people, they're going to recover. Who does that? I mean, who wants to take my sweatband after I finish track and take it and lay it on a sick person and hope they recover? Yet that's the potential. Not so that we could develop ministries where we pray over cloths. That's not what it's about. It's not about buildings shaking. It's not about shadows healing. It's not about handkerchiefs that we pray over. It's about becoming so in tune with God our Father, one with His Spirit, that the presence of God on our lives affects change around us, that out of our bellies flow rivers of living water. And some of you are like, but pastor, I don't have my healing yet. I just looked today at a video of Julie Bach in a wheelchair on a stage in a church declaring the power of God to save and to heal. And yet she doesn't have her healing yet. And she's, if it doesn't come, I'm going to die proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the message of her life right now. You bet some days they wake up in tears, afraid. They wake up just not wanting that end to happen. But they refuse to let the fog of today dictate what they're going to do. 
And they learn to rise above it in the spirit and say, God is faithful to finish what he started. In the book of Mark, chapter 9, there's a story of a man who watched his child suffer for years. I don't know if there's anything more difficult as a parent than watching your child suffer. And he brings his child to the disciples. And the disciples are unable to heal the boy. You remember this? So they get into this argument. The Pharisees, the disciples, the father, you know, they're arguing about why it didn't take place. Sort of like the church today. We pray for sick people and they don't get healed, so we want to argue about why it didn't happen. Jesus comes down from the mountain. If someone would just stop arguing and go up the mountain where Jesus is and get with Jesus, they'd get the answer. That's just, that's the point of the story. But Jesus comes down. He's like, what's going on? Why are you arguing? And they tell him the story. He says to the father, how long has he been like this? And the father's like, he's been like this since birth. I've watched him. You know, I have to, I mean, can you imagine having to watch your child 24-7 to make sure he doesn't throw himself into water, make sure he doesn't throw himself into fire to make, I mean, can you imagine the strain day after day after day after day, year after year of just doing that? And the man makes the statement, if you can help him, please heal him. And Jesus responds and says, if? I mean, who could blame the guy for being in the fog? I can't imagine what that strain and pressure is like day after day, year after year, to say, you know, if. I mean, do you hear it? The hopelessness, the despair. And Jesus says, if? I say anything is possible if you believe. Anything is possible. You, you do understand the potential is what Jesus is saying. And the man says, I do believe. I mean, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, how many of you can resonate with that? That there are days in our lives where there's just unbelief because we're just, the walls are pressing in, we're tired, and it's about knowing him. All right, we got to get to Philippians chapter 3. It took too much time. Philippians chapter 3, are you there? Okay, everyone must be there. I didn't hear any pages turning. I'd encourage you to read verse 7 through chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, I don't have the time that I'd like to, t to take today to go through all of that, but that's the entire passage. But we're going to start in verse 10, and we're just going to read down through verse 14. Paul writes these words, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation or the fellowship in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. No, the prize is not heaven. There's a prize that can be won on this earth. I've been called heavenward, and I'm going to press on every day for the prize. What's the prize? Knowing him. Knowing him. If the Apostle Paul understood that he can know him more, how much more can you and I know him more? 
Paul says, the goal of my life is knowing Christ. Right before this, he says, everything else I consider rubbish. He literally uses the word dung. I consider everything else poop. That's what he says. I know, how, how do you like that on your Easter sermon right there? But that's, what the apost- that's literally what the Apostle Paul is saying. And what he's saying is, I want you to understand, anything else that I would, could pursue in my life, any amount of self-righteousness or any amount of good works that I could accomplish or any amount of my religious heritage, to me, it's all dung. It's filth just because I want to know him. Because in knowing him is where I get everything. Knowing him is where I get salvation. Knowing him is where I get every promise. My potential is not in me. It's in knowing him. True righteousness is found in knowing Christ Jesus. Jesus himself in his prayer said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is not what happens to you when you die. It's what happens to you when you come into relationship with the Father and he sends his spirit to live inside of you. You have begun eternal life. This is eternal life to know you. The, the good works are not our goal. Heaven is not our goal. Miracles are not our goal. Ministry is not our goal. Knowing him is our goal. And when we pursue him, the fruit of that is miracles. The fruit of that is heaven. The fruit of that is ministry. The fruit of that is the right word in due season. But the goal is pursuing him. When Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if you pursue me and you love me, out of that, you're going to keep my commandments. If you pursue me and you love me, out of that, you're going to bear fruit. The goal is knowing Christ more and more. And every day, you and I are able to know him more than we did yesterday. Until the day you die, you will still be able to know him in a way that you did not know him before because he is inexhaustible and he is beyond your ability to ever figure out. That's the potential. There's so much potential in you until the day you die that you can tap into something today that you didn't tap into yesterday. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. He expresses the desire to know and to experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his daily life. I said this earlier. Here it is on the screen. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life whatever you need to your mortal bodies by the same spirit. Are you telling me the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, dead in the tomb, three days dead, brought him back to life, is not able to give you the ability to forgive someone who has hurt you? To do good to those who hate you? Is that what we're we're dumbing Christianity down to? The power of God that lives inside of us gives us the potential to control ourselves, not because I have self-control, but I have the spirit who is self-control. And as long as I keep making excuses for myself and talk about my nationality and my upbringing and the things I've experienced, and I give all of these reasons why I do what I do, and they may explain what I do, but they do not defend what I do. They do not excuse how I behave because I have power in me to tap into to overcome whatever has happened in my life. The goal is knowing him. 
And yes, Matthew chapter seven says you can experience power and not know him. He might say to you, I never knew you, even though you cast out demons and perform miracles, the goal is knowing him. Yet Paul still expresses and desires to know the power of the resurrection. Knowing Jesus is not a philosophy to be studied. Knowing Jesus is not a tradition to be kept. It's a power to live out a transformed life every single day. And when I fail, I will not wallow in shame and guilt, I will get up and I will go into the throne room and I will receive mercy and I will receive grace and I will press on and I will forget what is behind and I will strain toward what is ahead. And what's ahead of me is the unlimited potential of God in my life. Does anyone believe that? Me too. He's not referring to heaven. How do we know that? Because in verse 11, he says that someday he wants to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Even though you can experience the resurrection power of God every day, we know there's a greater thing coming, always. But that doesn't mean we can't pursue what's available today. The victory over sin, grace and strength to treat others the way God has treated us. The power of God to provide salvation and freedom for ourselves and for others to walk in signs and wonders. And Paul says, I haven't attained this yet. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 said he had visions of the third heaven. You know what that means? Anyone ever been to the third heaven in the room? I haven't. I have no idea what he's talking about. Peter, who walked with Jesus for three years, saw the resurrected Lord, ate fish with him. Peter says in his writing, 2 Peter chapter 3, Paul writes stuff that's really hard to understand. And this guy says, I have yet to lay hold of it. How much potential is in this room untapped. Not because of who you are, not because of who I am, but because of what lives, who lives in us. But Paul says, I don't want to just know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship, the partnership, the participation in sharing in his sufferings. You know what that means? That means just because you know the power of the resurrection doesn't mean that everything's going to go the way you want. Remember Paul said, I cried out to God to take away this thorn in my flesh, and he said... Uh, nope, I gave that to you for a reason. Now, we don't have any idea what that is, but what we know is that Jesus sometimes calls us to face suffering in the same way that he did. Paul says, look at this, I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number, meaning he lost count. How many of you have been whipped so many times you lost count? If you grew up in an abusive home, that might be you. He faced death again and again. Five different times, they gave him 39 lashings. Three times, he was beaten with rods. Once, he was stoned. Three times, shipwrecked. One time, he spent the whole night and day adrift at sea, traveled many long journeys, faced danger from rivers and from robbers. He's faced danger from his own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. Danger in cities, danger in deserts, danger on the sea, danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And besides all this, I have the daily burden of concern for all of the churches. And he doesn't say, I want you to feel sorry for me. He says, I want you to understand that wherever you are, I've been there and I'm calling you to a higher level of living. 
Peter says the same thing to us. Since Christ suffered physical pain, arm yourselves. Prepare yourselves with the attitude he had. Be ready to suffer. Because when you suffer physically, you finished with sin. You aren't going to spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires because those desires are the spiritual kryptonite that keeps us from tapping into our potential. That's not what Peter says. That's what the book says. That was for free. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. You'll be anxious to do the will of God. You won't be anxious to get to Netflix. You won't be anxious to get to that book you've been reading. You'll be anxious to do the will of God. But not if you don't make every effort to start tapping into the potential God has given you. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Be glad these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the whole world. Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And here's the thing. You do not have to have the power of God to know suffering because our world is filled with suffering. But if you want to suffer and know the partnership in Christ's suffering and be able to stand up under it and have power, then you need the power of the resurrection at work in your life. In John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Now, when we read that, we tend to to focus on, ask what you desire and it will be done for you. But that's not the focus of this verse. That's the fruit of this verse. The focus of this verse is abiding in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, the fruit of that abiding is that you're going to ask for what you desire and it's going to be done for you. When we abide in our focus is abiding, the fruit is getting what we need when we ask for it. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, I asked God for something and it didn't happen. Well, my question is, did you try to abide in him? Did you try to let his word abide in you so that your desires begin to get in line with what his desire was so you could come above the fog because you're asking God to remove something from you that he has brought into your life to allow you to learn and gain understanding. You're asking him to fix something that he's equipped you to fix. He's put his spirit inside of you to take authority over that and you're asking him to take away that thing. He says, no, you take authority in my power over that thing. Learn to abide in me and let my words abide in you. And so if this is the potential inside of us, why don't we see it? Why don't we see it? Why does the church today not look a lot different from the world except maybe a little bit more moral? One is unbelief. Is unbelief. We don't believe this is our potential. I know that sounds terrible. Unbelief doesn't mean you're going to hell. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that you've allowed the the pains, the trials, the sufferings, the difficulties of life to bring you to a place where all you see is the fog. And you've got to start abiding in him and getting this book to abide in you so that you start seeing the potential that he has. You've got to come to the foot of the cross and say, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. 
For those of you that want to sit here today and say you don't have any level of unbelief in your life, I'm just going to tell you you're fooling yourself. Every one of us in this room has some level of unbelief in our lives. And if we would come to the foot of the cross and say, God, help me overcome the unbelief in my life and to begin to tap into the potential that's inside of me by the power of your Holy Spirit, he would do just that because he gives greater grace to those who humble themselves. The other thing is spiritual kryptonite. The evil desires. In the book, he defines kryptonite as the known sin in our lives. In other words, when we knowingly and willingly disobey the direct commands of God, we actually hinder ourselves from tapping into the potential. He doesn't say it causes you not to be saved. It doesn't, he doesn't say it causes you to fall away. But he does say it causes you to become weak in your faith. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says, be careful, brothers and sisters, that your own hearts are not evil and, and unbelieving. Okay, do you catch this, brothers and sisters? These aren't his relatives. These are believers he's writing to. Be careful here on First Assembly of God. Okay, be careful that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Warn each other every day. <laughs> every day. Every day. Not Sunday and Wednesday. Every day. Warn each other every day while it is still today, the day of salvation, so that none of you will be deceived by sin. Please don't sit here today and think you can't be deceived by sin. Warn each other every day so that you're not deceived by sin and hardened against God. In the Psalms, David writes these words. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David's not being prophetic, or poetic. He's being prophetic. He's being genuine. That unconfessed known sin in his heart that he refused to take to God and confess to him, literally began to sap his strength physically, not just spiritually, physically. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is the verse we're going to pick up with next week, but we're going to just look at it briefly right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Paul writing to the Corinthian church says, this is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. He's not talking about communion. He's talking about the love feasts. A few weeks ago, we had a guy in our service that, if you remember that we, we called for people to come forward and be saved, he actually came at the end of service and did that. Um, but he came to church here. He didn't live here. He lived somewhere else in South Dakota. And he drove a distance to come to church here that day. But here's why. Because at his church, they were taking communion, and he didn't feel worthy. Okay, that, friends, is shame and guilt. That is not the Holy Spirit. Because if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Now, when you come to the table and you want to pretend you don't got sin, that's what Paul's talking about. And the sin of this church was the fact that they were not treating the body of Christ, their brothers and sisters, correctly. It was something that they knew, 
something that they understood. How many times in the scripture does it say all of the law can be summed up in how you treat people? All of the law can't be summed up in whether or not you watch dirty movies. All of the law cannot be summed up in sexual immorality or in greed. All of the law can be summed up into how you treat someone else. And that's the thing that Paul's addressing in this church. You don't, you're, there's no concern for anyone else in the body of Christ. It's all about you. And look at what he says to them. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Now, we don't like this passage of Scripture. You don't hear a lot of sermons on it because we don't quite know what to do with that. I mean, we know what it is to die. He's talking physical death. People have died because they don't deal with the known sin in their lives. Now, does it say God killed them? How many of you know worry causes physical symptoms in your body? And those physical symptoms, if they go unchecked, you know what they do to you? They kill you. I mean, you can go to the doctor and get your ulcer dealt with, you know. You can do that. Or in this day and age, you could just die from it. And so it's not like Paul is saying, you know, you're being judged by God and he's killing you. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> but he is saying, when you have unconfessed sin in your life, believe me, it's going to affect you. It's going to make you sick. It's going to make you die. Ever hear a testimony of someone that was led to forgive someone? They were holding on to bitterness. And the moment they forgave that person, just from their mouth, they just forgave them. They were enabled to be physically healed. I've heard that story over and over in my life. This is the scripture. This is what Paul's saying to this body. When you want to live in willful, known disobedience to God, not only does it make you sick, not only does it make you die, but it makes you weak. Weak. That word weakness means to have a lack of strength, to be impotent, or to be powerless. In other words, the potential that lives on the inside of you, you don't even have the power to live it out because of the sin that you refuse to confess and deal with in your life. And the rest of this book, we're going to begin to peel back the layers of what spiritual kryptonite is. And I, I, I hated to even introduce it to you today, but I felt like we had to because I want you to understand what keeps us from tapping into that potential. One is our unbelief. And two is any known sin in our life that we refuse to repent of. And don't think that the sins of mistreating another human being is any lesser to God than any other sin. Because this is what he's pointing to in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to walk through. And that's what we're going to do. In the rest of Philippians chapter 3, I encourage you to read the rest of that chapter. Because the Apostle Paul, after talking about all of this goes on to talk to them about the importance of connection with the body of Christ, the importance of coming together with a body of believers so that we all gain clarity. He begins to talk about if you disagree on these things, clarity comes when we're together in the body. It's okay to disagree on things, but it's not okay when we disagree to separate. We come together and we get clarity from the Holy Spirit so that all of us gain a greater level of understanding. He talks about clarity. He talks about accountability, living up to what we've already received in the body of Christ. This is what he unpacks through the rest of Philippians chapter 3 that I didn't have time to go into today. Today, we have got to learn to tap into the power of the resurrection in our daily lives. I believe God wants to bring restoration to the city of Huron that has yet to be seen.
I'm glad somebody believes it too. I believe he wants to bring salvation. I believe he wants to bring healing. He wants to bring deliverance. He wants to bring freedom. He wants to bring hope. He wants to bring peace. I believe we're already beginning to see the little things. The seed is starting to open up. People are starting to understand it, beginning to walk in it. I love what God is doing. But we understand there is so much more. So much more. I got so excited over one of the testimonies we're going to share with you next week. And then I just stopped and thought, you know, that's such a little thing. And I'm so super excited about it. But the Bible does say don't despise the day of small beginnings. But can I tell you, God is able to do immeasurably more. Do you know what the words immeasurably more mean? It means more to the point that you can't even measure it. Okay? He's able to do immeasurably more than anything you would ask or imagine. Okay, but here's the thing. Remember, that's the fruit. I got to know him. I got to abide in him. I got to let his word abide in me so that he can do immeasurably more than what I ask and than what I imagine. Here's what I imagine. I imagine someday you're going to be praying for someone who has a cold that's sitting in a wheelchair, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God's going to arrive on that scene in a way that you didn't expect, and he's going to say, I want you to take them by the hand and say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And then all of a sudden, a group is going to gather around you and say, how did you do that? And you're going to be able to tell them about the one who lives inside of you and what he has done for them, and maybe 3,000 people might just get saved. That's the potential that lives on the inside of every believer in this room. It's the power to live in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the power to keep our love on, even toward those who mistreat us. It's the power to turn this city upside down. Amen? Amen. Would you close your eyes this morning? I want you to just take a moment, and I want you to be honest with the word. I'm not going to take long, but I believe every time we open the Word of God, we need to ask ourselves, what did that just say to me, and what do I need to do about it? And I believe there could be people in this room today that you do not even have a relationship like I've described with our Father. You have never come to the cross and committed your life to God You've never admitted to him that you've broken his law, that you are not in right relationship with him, that you need to turn from your life. You need to trust that Christ died in your place. I know I didn't cover a lot of this in the message today, but I believe the Holy Spirit is able to make you understand at this moment that if you're not in relationship with God, if you've never repented, you've never turned around and started walking toward him, you've never committed your life to follow him, You need to do that today because you can't tap into any potential if you haven't done that. That's where it begins. And so if you're in this room today and you are away from God, you have never made a commitment to him or you've committed your life to him, but you have walked so far away, you feel the need today that you have to come back and you want to make that commitment to follow him, I want you right where you are just to lift up your hand and say, that's me. I want to come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I want someone to explain that to me more, or I want to do that today. If that's you, just slip up your hand and say, I want to do it. I want to make that commitment today. I'm going to assume the rest of us in this room 
are in relationship with God. I won't assume that we're tapping into the potential that's in us through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. My prayer this morning has been that God would begin to tear off the ceiling of our spiritual imaginations to begin to abide in him in such a way that we come up above the fog and believe that anything is possible. Even in the face of overwhelming disappointment, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And that's what I want to begin to to resonate in our hearts in this week ahead. We're going to get to the spiritual kryptonite side of it. We're going to get to that sin that needs to be confessed. But if you're here and the Holy Spirit has brought something to your mind, it's not by accident. He's looking for you to, to bring it to the cross and to repent today. But what I'm asking for is if you say, I need to repent of unbelief. That's your prayer. I need to repent of unbelief. I don't care on what level. 1% unbelief or 99% unbelief. But you resonate that there is more potential on the inside of you than you have allowed yourself to tap into and believe is possible. It can be because of pain. It can be because of disappointment. It can be because of sin. It can be because of loss. But you say, I need to repent of unbelief. Just slip up your hand and say, I need to repent. Unbelief. Unbelief. Anyone else? Unbelief. Unbelief. Hands up all over the room. Unbelief. I need to repent of unbelief. I've allowed myself to believe that it's okay for me to be this way. I've excused behaviors that the, that the scripture clearly calls sinful and I've failed to tap into the, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to live a transformed life, to offer forgiveness, to do good to those who, who have hated me, to bless those who curse me. I want to repent of unbelief today. Anyone else? I want to invite you to stand with me. I want to pray over you. And then I'm going to dismiss. But if you're here and that's not enough for you, you know maybe you need to take this a step further. We're going to have our prayer team here in the front. And if you want to come and just have someone else agree with you, In prayer, we want to give you that chance. If you want to just come to the front and kneel and pray, literally coming to an altar and saying, God, I'm going to put myself at the altar. I want to come to the foot of the cross. Sometimes physical movement is necessary for spiritual breakthrough. Sometimes physical movement is necessary for spiritual breakthrough. And so I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about that, whether you need to move or whether you can just slip out. We're not going to judge you. There are going to be some people who slip out who need to come. And there are going to be some people who come that probably could have slipped out. So it's not up to us to decide. It's between you and him. 
If he's moving upon your heart today, don't walk out of this room without dealing with what he's saying to do. If you need prayer for sickness, you need prayer for healing, yeah, you don't want sickness. You want prayer for healing. You want prayer for deliverance. You need freedom. You've got questions. Our prayer team is going to be here in the front at the end of this prayer. And if you want prayer, we want the opportunity to pray with you before you leave today. Don't leave until we have that chance to pray with you. And so, Father, thank you today for that plan. Thank you that while we were your enemies, you came to us. You didn't wait for us to come to you. You came to us. You forgave us. You dealt with our sin before we repented. You dealt with our sin before we even asked for forgiveness. You dealt with it. But God, we recognize that we stand condemned until we put faith in Jesus. And yet when we come, we didn't get a lecture. We got a ring, we got a robe, and we got a feast. Father, I pray today for every one of us in this room. If there are those that are here that still are not in that relationship with you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd continue to pursue them like you promised. You said you would be faithful to finish the work you started, and there's obviously a work that you've started in their lives because they're in this room, and I pray that you would continue to hound them until they repent, until they come to you. But God, for those in this room that have yet to tap into their potential, Father, we believe. Now help us overcome our unbelief. Show us the areas that you want to strip away and peel back. God, over these weeks ahead, I just pray for a grace on our lives to hear your voice. God, not to be shackled by shame or by guilt or by condemnation, but God, to be truly set free to walk in the power of the resurrection, to understand the fellowship of sharing in your suffering and become like you in every way. Now, God, over this body today, I pray your blessing. I ask that you would bless them. God, that you would keep them, that you would cause your face, God, your face to shine on them. You'd lift up your countenance on them and Holy Spirit, that you would give them peace. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, our prayer team is here in the front. If you want prayer, if you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly and let this room be a place of prayer for those who wanna spend some time in prayer. God bless you as you go. There's a still small voice that's calling